Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. It is August 9th, 2021. We're doing another earnings and news roundup for the second episode of the week after some really strong positive feedback from you guys. So thanks for letting us know. I am Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. Let's get right into it, Simon. We got lots of companies to cover. Earnings season is in full effect still. And it's interesting to see this year, I would say, is the one comment is we're seeing a lot of big increases because Q2 last year looked a lot different than Q2 of this year. So that is something to keep in mind. But Overall, some really positive signs seeing uh, we're seeing out of the economy, uh, and no, maybe no better proxy than the railroads uh, for the economy. So, do you want to just quickly talk about CP Rail? Yeah, Canadian Pacific. So, as everyone know, we've talked about a lot about CN Rail recently because of their uh, new bid to buy K- Kansas City Southern. But of course, CP was the one that had done the, the deal before them. So CP came out with their earnings release, 15% increase in revenues uh, versus last year um, for a total of $2.054 billion, over $1 billion in free cash flow, increase in train length and weight, which is a reflection of higher demand. Uh, they recorded 30 million metric tons MMTs, strong volume for potash, coal, energy, chemicals, and plastic. And they believe that the auto sector will outperform as the chip shortage eases. Um, that was the only part I was like, okay, I'm not 100% sure how that'll go. But uh, overall, a very strong quarter for CP. And like Braden said, we have to keep in mind of what was happening last year. Yeah, that's true. and and. It makes sense they're calling out the auto sector because it is a big uh, part of that MMT, that metric tons that they move, and the auto sector is completely disrupted. All right, uh, I'm not going to talk about Square's earnings so much as of uh, we have not talked about the afterpay deal. Square has agreed to acquire all of the issued shares of Afterpay, which is an Australian company, for $29 billion U.S., Afterpay is a buy now, pay later service. And uh, I thought it was funny because buying this in all stock is the definition of buy now, pay later. And it seems like a pretty expensive price. I mean, Afterpay trades at over 50 times sales. And the reason that I really wanted to bring this up is because I don't see anyone giving PayPal credit for building this system of buy now, pay later across their apps and their PayPal like web app ecosystem organically. You know, they did that in-house and didn't have to spend $29 billion in their own stock dilution to do it. So the reason I'm bringing this up is the market seems to really like Afterpay, the Afterpay acquisition uh, in combination with maybe some, some solid earnings. But where's the respect for PayPal for br- building this organically? I think it is going unnoticed. Yeah, I mean, that's why I own Square and PayPal. 
I don't have that dilemma. Uh, but yeah, it's an, I mean, it's definitely interesting whether I like it or not as a square shareholder. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence about it. It is not cheap, but on the one hand, you also have Square's stock who is trading at a very high valuation. So you can make an argument that they're using that to their benefit. Uh, that's kind of off, off, offset, of course, with the price that they're paying for them. So I think you have to to look at it that way. Aside from that, you could potentially see a Square using the leverage about uh, with Afterpay to acquire some new potential clients. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And the big thing I've been reading about it is Square is keenly aware that uh, big banks are eyeing that sector as well and trying to come with a, a product of their own. And I think that's a way for them to definitely alleviate some of that pressure coming from the banking sector of course you can easily compare it to, to paypal whether it'll make sense or not uh, but i can just assume they came to the conclusion that it made more sense to buy them than to try and build it uh, uh, well not from scratch i already had something a bit in place but obviously just kind of grow that they just decided it was easier for them to pay 29 billion dollars in an all-stock deal just a casual $29 billion. All right, on to some more, I don't know if regular is the type of businesses, but we talk a lot about tech here. Uh, but in earnings season, it's important to talk about everything. So uh, let's talk about Enbridge here and uh, what's going on, Simon. Yeah, so Enbridge, I know a lot of our listeners um, love dividend stocks, so that is definitely one of those. So the increased system utilization of one percent to five percent depending on the type of distribution because they have a lot of different types of pipelines they increase in all overall fuel demand ranging from two percent to 21 percent that's gas diesel uh, petrochemicals uh, liquid natural gas and jet fuel jet fuel actually had the largest increase again just remember what was happening last year the base effects baby exactly and the line three replacement it's in service in canada north dakota and wisconsin uh, minnesota which has had a lot of legal battles um, is progressing well there as well and the big thing about the line three replacement is the old line is not even being used to capacity because it's in such bad shape um, they had 10.9 million in revenues versus 7.9 million last year, which was largely due to an increase in pipeline usage. I, I'm not sure if I got that right. I feel like it may be billion, but um, anyways, that's the. My, I'm gonna say that that is billion. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> go. I think I think I made a mistake, but um, that's all right. Uh, free cash flow of 1.3 billion for the quarter, and one of the main metrics uh, that they use is DCF, so distributed uh, cash flow, which is a non-GAAP metric. It's kind of similar to uh, cash flow provided by um, uh, or funds from operation. I know Brookfield uses this, so they define it as cash flow provided by operating activities before changes in operating assets and liabilities. So. Um, Essentially, they make a bunch of adjustments. It's just to make it less uh, lumpy, I would say. So it kind of takes in and out certain factors that uh, would only be one-time charges. That's the easiest uh, way to to sum it up. And the DCF was up 2.71% year over year. That is a metric they've been using for years, so it's nothing to be concerned about. It's just not a, uh, a generally accepted accounting principle metric. It's like when companies use adjusted free cash flow and it's like, well, what did what did you adjust by? And you go in there and you go, 
Huh? I guess that's not part of Gap, but you know what? For their business, a lot of this stuff makes a lot of sense. Um, All right, Ferrari. Ferrari shipped 2,685 units in Q2, which is double of what they shipped last year. EBITDA tripled with strong 37.4% EBITDA margins. Uh, Shocker that they have good margins. I mean, Ferrari has pricing power like, you know, a great example of pricing power. I get questions all the time. How do I know if a company has pricing power? This is a company with pricing power. They have such such strong branding. They sell every car they make before they make it. They replaced one of their models this quarter with a new one, and it is $150,000 more than the previous model, which is like close to a third more than, than the price retails for. So uh, talk about pricing power, right? And the way I described it is someone on the Stratosphere community said, how do I know if they have pricing power? And I said, think of a company like this one, Ferrari, you know, the price that they set for this car, this new model this year, was basically decided in a boardroom. It was decided on a Zoom call, what the price is. You know, they're, they're looking at all the input costs and what, what the gross margins are going to look like, but it was decided by executives versus a company that doesn't have pricing power. The price of their product is determined by the market and is out of their control. So there's a there's an easy way to think about this stuff. Um, Simon, I'm going to put you on the spot. and This is a real test to see if you were looking at the show notes. What is your favorite sports car brand? Um, I would say I don't have a specific brand, but if I would pick one model, I would probably say the Nissan GTR because it's good oh, value. Like the GTR, right? Yeah, it's good value. Yeah. I feel like I'm not overpaying like a Ferrari, a value for example. Investor. <laughs> exactly. So I'm getting the same kind of... Uh, you know, type of sports car in a much more affordable package. And obviously, we're still talking about really expensive cars there. So um, I think they're like 150K. Yeah. But the but, performance on them is is unmatched for a company, for, uh, for, for a car of yeah. that price. How about you? I'm a big Porsche. I'm a big Porsche guy myself. Okay. There or, you go. Or, my, or we say Porsche, but, you know, yeah. You know, the However. people on the street know it as Porsche. Exactly. Anyways, um, Switching gears a little bit, Simon, what happened with Pinterest? Because we're seeing lots of movement on this stock recently. Yeah, it's one that I'm uh, seriously uh, considering starting a position. Uh, It was one of the stocks on my watch list earlier this week. Um, So what's going on with Pinterest? Revenues were $613 versus $272 last year. That's an increase of 125% year over year. Growth of 227% in international um, revenues versus 107% for US. That's the discussion we had up next. So the monthly average users um, went down 5%. The MAU went down 5% in the US, but up 13% for international users. Um, So overall, they had an increase in MAU. ARPU was 5.08% dollars us and 0.36 for international users so you see that big discrepancy and it would also explain why the stock tanks so much is because those us users are so much more valuable and for context arpu for facebook in us and canada is about 53 dollars per users and ranges from three dollars to 17 dollars for the rest of the world 
And like I mentioned, U.S. users, and I think typically they'll include U.S. and Canada together, tend to have a lot higher value than international users. And this is most likely one of the big reasons why it tanked, because those monthly ad average active users went down. Not providing, they also did not provide any guidance for MAU for Q3 due to the uncertainty. So that's another reason that the stock probably tanked. Uh, guidance of about 40% growth in revenue year over year for Q3, that's coming up. And net income of 69 million versus a net loss of 100 million last year. So they're doing some progress on that. And they were free cash flow positive as well for roughly 370 million, which was much higher than last year. So it's kind of a mixed bag uh, quarter for Pinterest. I think uh, for the most part, people were concerned with the guidance. I think that's um, that and the valuation of the stock. I think that's the main reason why it tanked with like 20, 25% in one day. Yeah, this is the thing, right? You have a highly valued growth stock and delivers revenue of, of over 100%, 125% year over year. And the financials look absolutely great. They beat on every metric. But then they go, hey, uh, by the way, we had less users than this time last year in the US. And we're not providing any guidance on those users in the future. So it's kind of like, well, what do I do with this? How do you how do you sustain this growth, and how do you have that kind of uncertainty and, and feel good about owning the stock? And and that's why the stock stock is sold off so much. So I can understand from the perspective of technology growth investors looking at you know monthly active users going down as 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 a bit scary. So uh, you know what? It could be a buying opportunity, it could be a value trap, and but I could definitely see how it is. Uh, Value drops a bit of a stretch. This thing's still very expensive, but um, I could see how it made it to your watch list, Simon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now on to our next name, Mercado Libre. Mercado Libre. Uh, this was a great report. Revenues were up over a hundred percent. The payments business total payment volume was up seventy-two percent. That GMV number was up forty-six percent. Unique. Active users grew 47.4%, reaching 76 million people. NVO switches their logistics segment, shipped 230 million items. And the the mobile payments segment of, of the payments business was, was up double. So this is a company that is benefiting from a mass increase in adoption of fintech and e-commerce in Latin America and South America and uh, this was a really solid report. Every single number across the board, really good. Now, when you read their reports, it is confusing because there's so many different currencies going on in the regions they serve. Uh, and they, they do put it in these neutral uh, foreign exchanges to, to help simplify it. But again, this is a business that is absolutely crushing it. It has been volatile, as most growth stocks have been. But uh, there's no reason to... to to not think this business is executing extremely well. All right, moving on. I'm bundling them together because they report their earnings together at the same time that press releases drop, and they talk about each other's company very often in their reports. And I wouldn't go on this podcast without talking about Constellation Software and Topicus reporting. Constellation saw revenues up 32, 35% in Q2 compared to last year, Organic revenue was up 
Now, 14% for CSU is a very high number for them. Uh, so that's great. But again, this time last year, organic revs were down 8%. So this came from a depressed number. Uh, the numbers on their income statement for the press release include with and without Topicus because the spinoff happened in on January 4th of this year. So Constellation and Topicus are attached at the hip and they have recently actually done an acquisition together uh, just last week. Uh, and for those who are wondering, Constellation owns 50.1% of Topicus. Uh, Constellation Software, known as CSI, but their ticker is CSU on TSX. And the Topicus one is actually on the venture TOI.V. All right, so TOI.V, Topicus, uh, a spinoff from, Con- uh, from Constellation, saw revenues up 54% compared to Q2 of last year. Uh, The business is still not regularly free cash flow positive. Organic growth was up 8%, which is a great number to see. Uh, Last year's organic growth was flat. Typically, CSU reports organic growth of basically zero on on average. Some years a bit up, some years a bit down. However, Topicus is a little different in in that fact. It's kind of like Constellation 2.0, and the fact that they're going for better organic growth and bigger acquisitions. And they are working with Constellation to get done some of those bigger deals if they can't do it on their own. So these two companies are under one umbrella with two different public listings. These companies are attached at the hip. And now we're seeing them do acquisitions together and bigger acquisitions. So they're deploying a record amount of capital. Everyone wonders, how on earth is Mark Leonard of Constellation going to continue to deploy all this capital to buying private software companies? And he has deployed more capital in the first half of, of 2021 than ever before um, in any six-month period uh, of their existence. So they keep to keep getting it done. They have this decentralized organization for buying companies through their operating groups. And it is quite impressive. I encourage you to do uh, some research on who Mark Leonard is and what they're doing over there. Uh, Simon, let's uh, talk about another Canadian tech company here. Yeah, Lightspeed. So we spoke about Lightspeed a few weeks ago. Um, definitely an interesting business. They had total revenues one hundred fifteen million, one hundred fifteen point nine million. That's an increase of two hundred twenty percent year over year. Keep in mind that fifty million was a result of acquisition. So on a organic basis, revenues were ups. Uh, was 65.4 million, which is still 80% year over year. So still very strong growth over there. Uh, the re- recurring subscription revenues of 49.9 million. That's an increase of 115%. Transaction-based revenue of 56.5 million. That's an increase of 453%. And a net loss of 49 million versus 20 million of last year. So yes, they're losing a bit more money. They're also 16 million worth of free cash flow negative and compared to 9 million free cash flow negative last year. So they are burning uh, some cash. It'll be interesting just to keep an eye on that. I've mentioned it uh, when we did our review on them. It is uh, a growth company. It's not the end of the world that they're losing money or burning cash. Um, You definitely want to keep an eye on it because at some point you'll want them to have a path to profitability. So hopefully that will come sooner rather than later. They also had some transactions that uh, they did. One that closed on July 1st, 2021. New Order, which is a business-to-business e-commerce platform. 
The purchase price was 200 and not 206 million in cash and a bit of uh, of shares, but that was the bulk of it. And they also uh, are going to make an acquisition, so it's not closed just yet. ECWID, uh, do you know how to pronounce that? Equid? Equid. Equid? Okay. Anyways, if someone knows, let us know. It's an e-commerce uh, platform for small and medium businesses. So both seem to fit in well with the uh, mandate or what uh, Lightspeed does. And uh, they'll increase about $20 million, uh, each per year in terms of re- in terms of revenue. And they are growing at uh, 30 and 50%, so 30% for new order and uh, 50% for equids. So definitely some strong growth over there. And again, it'll be an interesting to just keep an eye on them going forward. It seems like uh, the the acquis- acquisition base play is still uh, holding true for Lightspeed. Yeah, they're, they're really executing on those acquisitions. So uh, the the business strategy is changing and uh, yeah, they're deploying a lot of capital. So good for them. The trade desk, the trade desk ticker TTD is one of the only hyper valued nosebleed valuation type growth stocks that I hold. You know, we're talking about that 50 times sales and it's like, Oh goodness me. But you know what? The growth is so sustainable, and I've been right on this so far. The revenue at the trade desk was up 101% um, on that top line. And here is a quote from Jeff Green. Revenue more than doubled year over year to 280 mil in the second quarter. Our growth speaks to the trade desk position as the default DSP. So DSP is demand side platform for the open internet. Nowhere is this more apparent than in connected TV as more premium streaming inventory becomes available to meet growing marketer demand for data-driven TV advertising, said Jeff Green, founder and CEO of The Trade Desk. So they're in a couple unique opportunities, right? They're that demand-side platform for advertisers to go on and do all of their digital advertising ad buying on one platform across all these different channels, like across all the omni channel that we talk about. And their big opportunity that they've been dominating recently is connected TV. So on those smart TVs, there's lots of advertising all over the place. And the trade desk is the leader in that. Um, Brookfield Asset Management, no, no release in earnings, but just, I think just today, they have agreed to buy American National Group for $5.1 billion in cash under their reinsur- reinsurance partners business that they recently spun off. Of course, they're spinning off a new thing every time I look at the company. They added, uh, so this adds a company that includes life insurance, annuities, health coverage, and operates across all 50 US states. So this is a big deal $5.1 billion in cash. Brookfield doing Brookfield things. All right, Simon, uh, to close us off here, uh, one of your favorite e-commerce plays. Uh, tell me about it. Yeah, so to finish off, Etsy. Everyone knows I own Etsy, and I think it's a great business. Keep in mind with these numbers with Etsy, it's kind of the opposite of the base effect. So for them, they had like a lot of pulled forward growth last year, especially when we think about the, those handmade uh, masks that people were buying. So it's kind of funny. It's a little bit of the opposite of a company, for example, like Enbridge or CP. 
So gross merchandise sale GMS was three billion, which was 13% year over year. GMS per user on a trailing 12 month basis grew 22%. Revenue was 528 million up 23.4% year over year. Net income was 98.3 million up 1.9% year over year. Uh, they, we talked about this, they acquired Depop and Elo 7 and they were both completed in July for 1.625 billion and 217 million respectively, mostly cashews in those uh, transactions. They did not provide any full year 2020 guidance due to the uncertainty with COVID-19. And again, we saw the stock kind of take a hit when the release uh, came out for their earnings. Um, they their third quarter guidance is 2.9 to 3 billion for GMS and revenue of 500 million to 525 million and free cash flow for this quarter was 270 million for free cash flow versus 250 million year over year and that's also one of the reasons why I like Etsy because uh, they are bringing in some cash. Uh, everyone knows I love to look at free cash flow, so they've they've been free cash flow positive for quite some time now. So yes, they're richly valued, but with the hype of the pandemic and stay-at-home stocks kind of coming down a little bit, it may be uh, something to keep an eye on for those interested in Etsy because the valuations, they're still expensive, but they're coming back down to uh, slightly more reasonable level. <laughs> Yeah, slightly more reasonable. I think that's a good description of what that is. It, it, this is like you said. It's it's interesting because we are in we're seeing these Q two reports, and Q two last year was was weird. It was really strange, right? And then Q two this year, it's like comparing year over year to what those levels were, and then you have a business like Etsy that just exploded during that time period of everyone staying at home and, and needing masks and buying homemade masks. And, and again, that is a small part of Etsy's business now, and they, they're happy to point that out. They're like, hey, we don't just sell masks. Um, so it's it's interesting to see. And you know what? Maybe this is a hot take, but 20, uh, 23.4% revenue comps to when their business exploded – is pretty good. I mean, you're seeing all that pull forward growth last year and they're still up 23.4%. Now, is that a small revenue growth number for a company valued as high as it is? Yes. But I think my hot take from that is that's actually a great number considering the pulled forward growth and, and pretty difficult comps when their business exploded this time last year. Yeah, and Etsy isn't the only business. So just think about all those stay-at-home stocks, whether it's Etsy, Zoom, Amazon, Teladoc. Like all these businesses saw a lot of pulled forward uh, sales last year. So just keep that in mind, especially uh, I think um, DocuSign's another one that's a bit like that. Saw a lot of growth pulled forward. So keep that in mind if you're interested in those type of companies. Um, the numbers may look a little bit lackluster compared to companies that were really hit really hard by the pandemic. So you have to, to keep that in mind. I mean, we've been reminding people of those base effects or hard comps last year. But always put things into context. I think that's uh, the biggest takeaway from that. Or you just get a business like Google that uh, prints absurd growth, no matter what the circumstances are. 
And that's what we will continue to be dumbfounded by uh, when Big Tech reported two weeks ago. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm glad you guys are enjoying the news and earnings roundup. As the earnings season cools off, we're going to mix in some other topics as well, maybe some interviews. Uh, Time will tell. And uh, we'll keep reporting on Canadian earnings as well, because obviously it is an underserved market, especially in the podcast arena. So um, we appreciate you guys very much. Go to GetStockMarket.com. It is the last month to get the lower pricing before my new product launches later this month. Again, that is GetStockMarket.com. It is also the easiest way to ask Simon and I questions is on the community forum. By far, it is the easiest way to engage with other podcast listeners Uh, on the community forum. Again, go to getstockmarket.com. We'll see you next week. Peace. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.